Some of you only need to look across the dinner table to find your closest connection to agriculture. Others of us need to look a little further back to find our farming family. My name is Portia Stewart. All four of my great-grandparents were farmers. But by my grandfather's generation, only my grandfather was still in agriculture. Now, like many Americans, I have no more farmers in my family. This made me wonder, have consumers lost their connection to the land? And have farmers lost their connections with consumers? Let's see if we can make some new connections. Welcome to Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock podcast that connects the hearts and minds of producers and consumers to preserve our sustainable resources and provide high-quality food. Now it's time for Have You Heard, the latest in livestock news. I'm joined now by John Bidet, who's the editor of Bovine Veterinarian. Hello, John. Hi, Portia. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. So I've been intrigued by this topic. First of all, I love veterinarians, and I think uh, bovine veterinarians have a unique and uh, very unusual in the even in the veterinary world job where their life is really revolving around their cars, their trucks, their being on the road, getting out there in the field, uh, very, a very challenging lifestyle. But one of the things that they can potentially do for us is identify areas where they can assist the producers with, with their animal well-being and their care and, and employee engagement and, uh, and the care they offer. And I know you and I have talked about this a lot, but what do you see as the veterinarian's role as you work with them all the time? Yeah, there's several aspects. And veterinarians, just by training and, and by their interest, they really have a lot a good understanding of the interactions between animal welfare and, and the environment and how cattle are handled and how that affects disease and immunity and, and overall performance. And the, the role of stress in, in immunity and in cattle performance. And so they, they can spot deficiencies or possible conflicts in those, uh, in those issues that uh, the producer might not, not see. And, and they, at the same time, they understand the economic of the ranching or business. They understand that producers need to run a profitable and efficient operation as long as along with providing high a high level of animal welfare so the veterinarians are in a good position to to balance those priorities what are some of the things that you have seen high performing veterinarians do out in the field to help producers and so the the veterinarian comes in with you know with all those experiences and often can spot opportunities that the producer might not see because they just haven't had the chance to uh, really get out and, and uh, experience so many different strategies and different management systems in place in different operations. So really, they have the opportunity to go out and see 
multiple operations and pick and choose the best and ideas and and cross pollinate. Exactly, and uh, and of course these operations are all different and all have uh, somewhat different priorities, and they might have different genetics and different environment, and so there's never a one size fits all solution, but they can combine what they've seen in, uh, in a lot of different places and identify any opportunities that might work for a, a particular ranch or farm. One thing that I think is particularly challenging is if you speak to most um, producers, they are very concerned about animal welfare and it's a priority to them. And one of their toughest jobs is getting that message into the heads of all of their employees through whether that's through training or or through oversight and all of the the key ways that we protect an animal's well-being what can veterinarians do to help those producers that's absolutely right and the veterinarians one of the trends that we've seen in recent years is that the veterinarians in bovine practice whether that's beef or dairy are evolving to become more and more, uh, to function more as consultants rather than just like an emergency doctor. They, they can certainly help out if there's a disease outbreak or, or any particular case that needs veterinary attention, but one of the most valuable services they can provide is just to, to consult with the operation and to, and to work with those employees and train them in the protocols that uh, that the veterinarian and the and the owner have agreed upon as far as the health practices, but also welfare practices, how they handle animals, what they how they decide uh, when to when to treat and when to move cattle and and uh, and how to do it. The last thing I wanted to ask you was really about the consumer facing portion of this. We we know that consumers care about how their food is produced and even even maybe even more now than ever before. So how can veterinarians help with that consumer side and the messaging about how animals are being cared for? Yeah, I think that can help in, in several different ways. One, of course, is just to, in, in any of these certification programs, there are several marketing programs out there in, in beef and dairy production that uh, include some kind of of welfare practices along with um, you know, perhaps the health, health practices and nutrition and some other aspects. But the veterinarian often is uh, kind of the, the point person to verify that the operation is, is complying with the guidelines of that program to, uh, in order to market their, their products as, uh, you know, the cattle or their, their milk as being humanely treated, um, so that's one one area that's um, fairly well defined. But beyond that, I think the um, the uh, there's always the risk of some of these videos or incidents that um, that really give the the industry and the individual operation a black eye. And often it just comes down to person who probably shouldn't have been employed in in a in a occupation where they're handling animals and uh, the veterinarian can help spot those those kind of problems right help um, help with the interviewing and the training and uh, and the ongoing assessment of employees to make sure that um, 
that everyone understands and is complying with um, with their recommendations for for animal welfare. And if a if a problem comes up, they can intervene and um, and protect that that operation's welfare or that operation's um, reputation. But um, but also, like I said before, just um, convincing the producers and their crews that there's a reason behind these um, these animal handling guidelines and that right. animal welfare equates with uh, with good production and and meeting consumer demands for not only welfare but the you know the quality of the of the meat and the milk that we put on the market. Right. Thanks, John, for joining us today. You're welcome. Next up, let's meet a millennial. Here, millennial consumers share their feelings about meat and dairy, what they eat, where they shop, and how they make their purchasing decisions. Today, I'm joined by Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Portia. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. So, first question we always ask, are you a meat eater? Absolutely. My family also raises beef cattle on the side, right? so I grew up eating meat, pork, chicken, turkey, you name it. I'm a huge fan of it. <laughs> so does that make you pickier about your meat? Yes and no. I think I come from a, a pretty heavily dominated animal health and veterinary medicine background, right? so I definitely know a lot more like what goes into livestock. So I guess a little bit more picky because I don't really pay attention to labels and things like that because things get marketed interesting ways right and so for me like I just I already know kind of what I like what I'm used to what I grew up eating and so I just kind of gravitate towards those same things are you a dairy consumer as well oh absolutely I like drink milk by the gallon per week. <laughs> 100% yes <laughs> so one of the tips that my daughter got um, she's a dancer one of the tips she got was that it was really important like uh, when you're exercising to make sure to drink milk especially chocolate milk it's like a good yeah. super um, uh, replenisher for, yeah. for your muscles Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. So tell me about your eating habits. Do you snack? Do you have meal routines? I like to snack and I have routines. I kind of do enjoy a little snack kind of when I get off work, like whether it be kind of like trail mix or kind of something smaller, like a pretzel chip or something right? kind of out there. But for like eating wise, I do like to stick to kind of a routine. I usually like to eat breakfast in the morning. I have dinner around the same time. Usually my lunch is kind of the same thing. <laughs> but I'm a very routine and kind of schedule oriented person. So that's just kind of how I work personally. Are you a social eater? Do you like to get together to eat or do you like to eat privately? A little bit of both. I can't, you cannot be at a good meal out with friends and family, 100%. Right. But I also don't mind just kind of making myself a sandwich and eating at home too. <laughs> right, right. Um, so what are your food influences? Where do you get opinion, your opinions about your food? And do you, anything, any bloggers you follow or books oh, you read? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of my influence honestly comes from my family. Um, right. Like I said, we have cattle on the side. I've been around livestock my whole life. And so, and both my grandparents, um, on my dad and mom's side, both like home style meals, like they make everything. Right. So I grew up with a lot of those influences, like homemade mashed potatoes, beef, like we got butchered. Like, I mean, I just grew up with a lot of those influences. And so... For my brother and I, like that's kind of a lot of the same habits and things that we've stuck with. It's kind of just what we grew up with, what we know, and kind of we enjoy sharing like those habits now with our friends moving forward that right. kind of aren't as educated on some things, and so it's been kind of fun getting to merge the two as we got older. What is the biggest like myth that you've busted with your friends who do not have an agriculture background? This one sounds so 
so dumb. But one of my friends legitimately thought chocolate milk came from brown cows. Oh, well. I 100% wish I was kidding. <laughs> and I sat there and I was like, oh, my goodness. So what did she think about strawberry? She, had, she looked at me and she was like, please don't tell me that's like that. And I was like, no. I was like, no. <laughs> it's not like that. But she also comes from like a very, very city suburban background. Right. So she like the first time she saw cattle was coming to like college. Right. So she... Definitely got a little bit of an education. We got to kind of go through some cool things and right. learn together. It was it was really, really fun, though, kind of getting to do that with her. That's awesome. So do you like to cook? Yes and no. I like to cook kind of smaller things. I'm not going to call myself, myself a chef at all because I am not. But I like kind of cooking smaller meals for my brother and I, like when I have time, and cooking for my roommate and stuff. But definitely you can't be just getting some lunch meat too and making something simple when you're on the go because I'm always kind of moving around and I don't really sit down a lot more than right. I would like to but I'm always just kind of moving so easier the better sometimes for me. So do you feel like a Superman like special power that you can see through the marketing when it comes to food at all? Yes and no. I mean I think coming from like my background a lot I, I feel like I know a lot more than a quote-unquote like average consumer right but also I'm not like I learn new things every single day too so like I'll look at something and be like wow I didn't know that or like I'll learn something from somebody else or rather it be from work a friend a acquaintance like I also learn from them so kind of a it's, it's, it's a scale it's all about balance right my, is kind of how I feel about it so um most important question what is your favorite guilty pleasure food I am a huge ice cream fan. Oh, huge I hear that a lot here. <laughs> yes, you cannot beat a good cup of ice cream on a hot day in the summer. So, in my opinion. flavor. My favorite flavor is anything coffee related. Oh. I love coffee flavored ice cream. I don't drink coffee though, which is really weird, but I love coffee flavored ice cream. Oh, which that's is very, very odd. But <laughs> so, is there any like go to ice cream place that you think is better or you're drawn to? I love Andy's. Huge fan of Andy's frozen custard. Oh, there we go. So, and I, I just like variety, and they have literally anything you want, and you make whatever you want, and it's fantastic. Great. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Portia. For today's main dish, we're serving up the team behind the documentary, Farmsteaders, that premieres on POV on PBS on September 2nd at 10 p.m. Directed by Shana Mallett, Farmsteaders follows Nick Nolan and his young family on a journey to resurrect his late grandfather's dairy farm. I'm joined now by Shana, Nick, and his wife, Celeste. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Shana, to get started, what was your vision behind the film? What do you wish consumers would know about working on a small family-owned dairy? Yeah, well, when the project started, um, it had pretty humble beginnings, and we thought it was going to be like a short web-based mini-series, and then eventually a short film, but it just kept growing and growing. Um, kind of the, you know, the root of it was really trying to connect people to, to, you know, one amazing family to the Nolans and their experience that reflects so many small farms in the country um, and a lot of the current struggles against, you know, a, a system that certainly doesn't play in favor of small family farms. Um, and, you know, there's a growing local food movement. More and more people are becoming interested in local food. Um, but don't necessarily 
know who the people are that are actually growing the food and how to you know really care about those people and how to connect and like take care of their actual local community of farmers and so um, you know farms are closing their doors every day as you know and the you know I'm sure the audience knows um, so yeah just it, it really grew out of a, a desire to connect people in a really like intimate tangible way to what it looks like to be on a farm every day and you know just the daily struggles um, of you know doing the work and also of this bigger picture and kind of the, the bigger structure of trying to survive within a broken food system in our country. Right. And I think one thing probably consumers would, may not realize about dairies is how all-consuming a lifestyle this is. And I think that comes out really clearly in, in the documentary. Uh, as you know, many of our audience are sharing this same life. Uh, Nick, what do you think the future looks like for small dairies? Well, uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I, you look at it now, the way milk prices, I mean, dairies in general really just dissipated over the past two years because of milk prices. You see so many, many so many people just went out of business and held on for so long, and who's coming up to take their place? I don't, you know, it, it probably looks more dismal than when we started making farm setters, to be honest with you. I get a very strong sense from from you that you you feel this huge connection to your to your family's dairy and that's a lot a large part of uh of who you are would you agree with that and what what does it mean to you well i mean whenever you do something for so long and you're part of something like that it becomes a the kind of the the keystone of your identity you don't really know who you are if you're not out there milking cows you really don't have a, a a purpose or have a plan other than you're stored in this land and you're trying to to raise a family and you're trying to grow food for people outside of that you know it's uh it really kind of chips away at who you really believe that you are and what your goals are right Celeste, uh, one of the things that I noticed um, for those who, ha who have not seen the documentary yet and are waiting for September 2nd, um, you spent, uh, you spend a, a fair amount of your time uh, in the community and, and you've, you make cheese that you sell locally. How much do small dairies rely on their communities? Well, we re rely entirely on our communities. Um, I think the thing about small farmers in general, um, we're all in a rural area and we're kind of looking for um, the populations of the urban centers to support our business. I know there's lots of people that eat here, but it seems like to, um, I don't know, to demand the prices that we need, we need people with larger incomes. We need, we need the urban centers and the urban populations to support our business. I think it can be done and on a smaller scale or replicated in small communities, but in addition to like relying on the people in our physical location, we rely on the people in the urban centers near us as much, if not more. Right. You know, I was, I was watching pieces of the film again today, and uh, I remember a quote that you said that actually appears in the trailer, uh, that the farmstead is where everything happens, all of the joys, all of the sorrows, and that the, there's really no escaping. And I feel like there's such an intimate part of, of seeing you guys go through this, this experience. I'm thinking keenly about that 
point in the film, you get this cheese order and, you know, it's like there's both gratitude for like, oh, that's, you know, revenue, but also you're going to be up all night making cheese. What What is it like now seeing that uh, on film and, and reliving it in that, that sort of intimate way publicly? It's weird. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I told all my friends. They could watch me yell at my kids and cry on national TV <laughs> if they wanted. Um, <laughs> but it um, it's realistic, and I don't know how it necessarily makes me feel. Um, it's it's definitely true to my life, and I guess the the most shocking part about it is that it happened five or six years ago, but I'm pretty sure I cried like that on Thursday again, too. (laughs) Nick, uh, were there any parts in the film that you, um, you know, parts where Celeste was in it, where you didn't see it happen, but you saw it later and it, it was, was it surprising or did you have any different reactions to it? Yeah, I mean, seeing that, a couple of years down the line, you know, that uh, because a lot of that was filmed three years ago, four or five, six years ago almost. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that really strikes me is we still have a lot of the same problems. We still have a lot of the same issues. If, if we've moved on past some of them, but we've got new ones. It's, it's a daily struggle. And until I watch it, then it kind of brings it all back into focus as to what I was dealing with then and what we were dealing with as a family. But you know that hadn't really changed it's still it's not like we've reached the point to where you can just coast and say oh well we've got it all figured out now because it's just as chaotic and it's just as hard to go do this morning as it was then right uh do you find as a whole that uh you spend a lot of time in your communities i think that's reflected in in the in the documentary but do you find that consumers understand what you do and what all the process of process of it and do you think they've lost in any ways their connection with agriculture yeah i mean uh, you look at consumers we have a lot of really uh, the people that seek us out are generally educated consumers i run into a lot of people at the farmer's market but you go find people just out in the general public and they have no connection to where their food comes from they have no idea about the work that goes into it and it's 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 kind of uh, discouraging in a way i mean people think milk and cows is something that uh you know uh, it just happens no one really has to go out and work at it it's done in multiple shifts on big operations that they ship all this stuff out to and, and you see a lot of kids that are coming up that have no idea about where milk comes from much less the work and the, the capital and the, 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 the perseverance that goes into producing it you know it's and you look at the the, the consumers right now of cheese it seems like uh, Americans are Uh, bought into the idea that I'm going to go out and competitively shop for the best TV at the best price, but, oh, it's just something I'm eating. Who cares? What's the cheapest cheese I can find, (laughs) you know? And uh, that's kind of discouraging because I think of food as not really being a commodity necessarily, just like this cheese is the same as this one. It's the same as the other. It's not. You know, what we make is more uh, on the border of, uh, uh, of art passion something that uh, you're, you're made to consume as fuel for your body but you know it's a lot more than that and I think uh, people are slowly getting uh, uh, attuned to that idea and you know you see a lot more people care about what beer they drink and about what uh, vegetables they get and what's on them and I think cheese is coming around that way too right Do we've been uh, you know and you can look at the numbers and the sales and and how we've grown we've been growing consistently since the, the we've been out there in business and 
and uh, you know in a shrinking dairy industry. And I think anytime you can bring those two together, take something that a lot of people are running away from and, and not doing anymore, and try and take that and uh, be successful at it, you know, there's a lot of opportunity right there that I think the, a lot of farmers are missing out on. You know, you just can't sell this as a, a commodity anymore. You really have to add value to it. You really have to connect to the people that's eating it, not just the, the brokers that's buying it and reselling it. Right. I think that connection is is probably the most important message. Uh, it's one of the key messages we try to bring out in our podcast is is connecting with our grocery shoppers, the people who consume our food. What have been your most successful efforts, the places where you really feel like you've made a difference? Is there any place or time or thing that you've done that you saw made a big impact? Well, we do a lot of different outreach things, like at the Bob Evans Farm Festival. You'll see a lot of people that's never never tasted a uh, farmstead cheese or a real cheese, of that matter. You never see a lot of kids that's never even touched a cow or seen a cow in person. And uh, you know, when you break through and they make that type of connection, you can see people put that cheese into their mouth for the first time and taste it, taste what real food's all about. I think that uh, people's been desensitized towards uh, what food's supposed to taste like in general. You know, that. Um, Everything's uh, uh, enhanced so much with different flavor profiles and different things. It's, it's like more and more of the same crap. And what we try and bring to it is something different than that. We try and connect people to what the passion that I feel whenever we produce cheese, whenever we make this food, how that uh, uh, we go about it and what we try and put into it. And I think it shows it starts at the bottom up from the grass, the cows, the, the way that you, you manage your herd to the way that you produce the cheese and the types of cheese you make. And I see that at the farmer's market every week, too. You get some people that just will not buy other cheese than what we make. And, you know, that's a lot of reward right there. And I think the more people we connect with as far as, uh, you know, younger people, the more that they're going to grow up and realize uh, uh, what real food is and where to get it at and the work that goes into it. And I think that's going to benefit the consumer. It's going to benefit the farmer. It's going to benefit all of us, really. As you guys know more more than anyone, the the last few years have not been kind to dairy, and uh, it doesn't seem like we go uh, a month without hearing about more dairy closings. Uh, mm-hmm. What what would be your what keeps you going when uh, you know when when milk prices continue to drop when you see the guy down the um, uh, down the lane going out of business? Well, you know, we haven't really sold milk commercially in uh, almost 10 years now, you know, and uh, I, I really don't have any, I, I sympathize with people that are losing their ass because of milk prices and what controls that. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's ridiculous that it's not driven by supply and demand, that the, the federal government has to intervene and set milk prices at what they do. And I, it's really sad to watch all these people and their entire lives go down the drains because of it, end up in an auction, everyone uh, selling their cows and getting jobs outside the farm. You know, it's a, it's a whole uh, dissipation of the, the agrarian American lifestyle that people have been doing since this has been a country, really. And uh, where it's going to lead to and where it's going to end up at, your guess is as good as mine. It doesn't look like a good direction, though. Celeste, uh, one question I had for you was, and obviously this is Nick's grandfather's dairy, and he had a passion for it and grew up with this. Did you have any background in dairy? None at all. I um, 
milk was in the fridge when I grew up. <laughs> I never even cons- I I never considered that it came from a cow or that it did anything but give me a belly ache. Um, it was it was really a big shock to me. I didn't I never went to a dairy farm. I guess I realized there were dairy farms when I lived in Florida and I had to drive past one, but I'd never been to a dairy farm until after um we decided we were going to become dairy farms farmers. We went to a couple dairies in the county, but that was my first experience at a dairy farm. Um so no. And and that's I mean I was in my 20s before I I ever made the connection that milk was from a cow which is shocking to me, right. um, I guess, at this point. Do you, do you think, do, from, do you get a sense from your kids, is this a passion they share, and do you think that they will dairy as well? I, you know, it's hard to say when you're in it. Dairy is a big commitment, and they've done it every day of their lives, so I, it's hard to say what anybody's going to do when they grow up. I do think that they will have an appreciation for good food and what good food tastes like, and I think they'll also be willing to work for good food, um, but I don't, I really, I don't know. I'd love it for, it, you know, I'd love it for to for it to be their future, and I also, I don't know, I'm also aware of all the struggles that go with it, so I'm okay if it's not as well. Um, I know that we need farmers and we need people to do the hard things, but there's, yeah, there's, I, we all still struggle with balance and it's, it's been a challenge for us. And I don't know if those are the same challenges I want my kids to face as adults. Right. It's interesting. We actually did a study recently, a quick survey, and we asked our, our dairy audience, if they were, if they would recommend their kids going into dairy, and and more of them said no than than yes, and I know that that also goes back to the commercial side more than anything because there's a lot of passion for this profession. This is I, again, I think Nick, you said it best, a lifestyle, and I don't think everybody understands yeah. that. It is. It's not a job. It's like a, it's a full-time commitment. You know, a job that I used to have, I would go to, and then after it was over with, you come home at the end of the day and then figure out what you wanted to do. This is what I want to do. This is that, and that's what keeps me committed to it every day. And I grew up milking cows, and you know, my grandfather, he wasn't. Well, my parents either never wanted me to get into dairy farming because of the the economic side of it. I mean, it was that way in the 70s, too. It was boom and bust. You could go out there and uh, uh, have your best month ever milking, and if everyone else did, too, the price dropped. You went down below what your cost of production was. You had to start selling stuff to to meet all your commitments financially and then come back, and when you had a good month, you start buying it all back. You know, it's, there's a lot of volatility into it, and there's no uh, second shift to hand it off to. And, uh, you know, I think I've seen that side of it, but like uh, like them, I like to push myself and try and do the, the things that seem impossible or improbable. And this is right up the top of the list as ones I know of. This is a business that isn't is not without risk, and and you touched on you know the fact that for the last ten years you've you've not sold commercially. What has your business strategy been, and and how has that evolved? Mm. Our business strategy. I mean, we we've went a lot of different directions with it. We try and add as much value to the products that we produce 
and uh, get those farther down the line to consumer. I mean, we do a lot of wholesale business with cheese and different restaurants and bars, and we try and diversify in between uh, uh, not having all of our eggs in one basket. We make right. different fresh cheeses, different aged raw milk cheeses to hit different demographics. We market in different places. So, I mean, if one one time that you lose a customer, which we don't really lose any customers, it seems like we have trouble creeping up with the demand. Right. But if you ever lose a customer or have someone go to business, then it's not your whole business. It's not like you get a milk check and you're not really expecting and you get like $13 a hundred on it. You know, it, it, there's a lot more opportunities to be able to, to stabilize things. You know, we make so much uh, per pound of, of cheese and that's been pretty consistent. As long as we can keep up with the production side of it, keep making that much cheese, you know, then, you know, we, we have a pretty sustainable business. Shana? I'd add that it's financially sustainable. Right. Um, right. But, it, I mean, speaking to dairy farmers, it's not, we didn't, you know, it's different than the milk truck just picking up. Right. It's, um, we've added a, a market, a cheese making job, a marketing job, um, and we've added more money, I guess, you know, it's not the milk truck picking up for $13 a hundred, but we have added two more full-time jobs. and. You can see I, I, as we grow or as we don't grow the economies of scale and why people do, um, I guess. I'd just add that and you can go back to your question. Oh, well, you know, that actually leads really well into my next one because I was going to ask you what has happened since the film. You have had some growth. Yes. Um, we. I mean, we've continued to grow um, since we began. I every year we make more cheese and sell more cheese we're really i would say we're only limited by ourselves right and you have to sleep sometime right <laughs> exactly <laughs> shana what's been the response to the film uh, we've had a really positive response yeah it's um we've had a really warm reception we did a run with film festivals first and um, have done some community screenings. And um, it feels like people are really ready for this film. And like people have just been just wonderfully engaged and have a lot of questions. And, um, you know, even some like audiences who I wasn't sure if the film would resonate with, like some urban audiences, we have also gotten a really great reception. Uh, because, you know, I think that people, I think people just naturally connect with food. Um, you know, it's food is how we share stories right. throughout all of human history. And yeah, I mean, food is how we connect. We connect around the table. And, um, and you know, people, I think, are really, intuitively, a lot of people miss the connection to their food. And a part of that is that I think a lot of people miss the connection that we as humans have had most of our existence to the land as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have just gotten so far removed. And, you know, Nick was speaking to this, that food has really become like a, a commodity and food has become something that people just eat whatever is in front of them so that they can keep going. Um, and I think that that's just a lot of people are just becoming sick and exhausted with that and, uh, you know, are really kind of seeking that reconnection. Um, and I've had a lot of people say things about the film that, you know, in different ways they found it healing. 
um, for some people because, you know, so many folks have memories of a farm. They have a grandparent who farmed or an uncle and aunt who farmed or, you know, someone in their, in their family history who, you know, was deeply connected to one place, one piece of land um, for a long time. And people have gotten really removed from that and they miss it. And so, you know, people connect on that level. And then I think also seeing a family who just, you know, I mean, the Nolans are just salt of the earth people who are working really, really hard and really love each other. And people see that. And I think that also, um, you know, it just resonates. And yeah, and so we've, we've had just a, a really positive response so far. Right, and I think you make a great and point I, there. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. I'd like to add in with that too. That you know that I think that uh, a lot of people could have made a similar film about the same subject, about the same family, and it not turned out near the the the, the uh, emotional resonance that people feel with it. You know what we have right there is deeply. Uh, it's not a, a how to make cheese or how to dairy farm successfully manual as much as it is a, a love story. It's an emotional, intimate portrait of people at their most vulnerable times and uh, their most uh, connected as, a, as one unit trying to fulfill one goal, one aspiration uh, to go out and milk cows and to make cheese and to, to make it right here where other farms are failing. I think that's what really resonates with the people that, that talk to me about it. The human side of it, not necessarily the, the you know, the, the, the agricultural side. Nick, I think you're so right. And I think about how we just probably don't have as many farmers in our neighborhoods and families anymore as we've gone uh, more and more to city life. Um, uh, we have a separation from the people who make our food and knowing those people and seeing, you know, the trials and tribulations and seeing what they go to to produce our food. It's it's something we all as responsible consumers need need to share. So if there was one message that you could give to consumers about, about the dairy life and about, about where their food comes from, what do you want consumers to know? Uh, me? Yes. Um, I, I think that uh, what I would like for people to know is to, well, uh, you know, I'd like for people to have that experience themselves. I mean, you know, look at your life, look at what your values are and what your goals are, uh, put down your phone and go out and plant a garden, raise right. a cow, go out and spend some time in the country, learn where your food and where your sustenance is coming from and, and the people that, that produce it. And I think it's going to make everybody uh, uh, more attuned to, to the, the good things that food have to offer and the, the sociological aspects of uh, rural America, which I think a lot of people are just so disconnected from that they don't really know what happens in the places they fly over. Right. <laughs> coming from a flyover state, I understand uh, where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Shana? Yeah, and I think I would like people to to realize that we're not unique. There are people and families across the country that are doing things, the same things or similar things that that you can reach out and you can have, like buying, people buying our cheese has an effect on our lives. I mean, it's why I can pay my cable bill and why I can, why I have a cell phone. And right. uh, I think that 
and it's not it's not just me. So going out there and seeking out people that are doing things in your in your community that are yeah that are making things from the natural resources that that we're surrounded by. Um, it doesn't have to be cheese. Uh, it really has an effect on that family and the community. And it doesn't. It's not. We're not alone. You can replicate this, or there's people doing the same things around every corner. Uh, one last question for all of you. Uh, is there one moment in the film that you particularly love or one one scene that I think that really encapsulates the whole experience? Well, I want it to be last because well, <laughs> I have teenage boys. Um, you know, our family is, well, we've all aged, so there's no babies left. There's, um, we go from, what, 15 down to eight. So as I don't know if I have a favorite scene. I just think it's funny that the, my boys get made fun of at school because of the breastfeeding scene. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but I don't, yeah, there's so many great things. And Shana's perspective on everything has, uh, oh, I'm just glad that I have it. And I think the, the entire film, yeah, is, I don't, I'm, I'm amazed by it. I'm amazed how she could take, uh, stuff that seems so boring and regular to us and make it look so beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. Nick, did you have any favorite moments? Answer to your question. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Nick, did you have a favorite moment? Yeah, my favorite moment in the films, like in the opening of it, where Celeste and I are kissing in front of the uh, milk house. That is a good one. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, it's just a very intimate moment between the both of us and the connection that we have that makes everything else that you see in the film possible. Family and business. Right. I, yeah, I don't know if I have one favorite scene. I've watched it so many times. <laughs> you know, just when you're, yeah, the one behind the lens, you know, a little vulnerable putting it out there. But I, um, you know, one one scene that comes to mind, this one we've already talked about, but it's the scene on the porch um, that, you know, kind of starts with Celeste, you having this, like, really, really great parenting moment of uh, you're kind of calling the boys on their language and um, just being mindful of, uh, you know, the way that they're speaking to one another. One of them calls the other one a girl as an insult, and, uh, you know, it's a kind of a, a conversation arises out of that, and then the big cheese order comes in, and it's just really overwhelming. Um, I, I think that that scene always stands out for me because it's so honest and just pretty raw. And, um, you know, we just don't often get to sit with one another in those moments. Right. I just, I, I think it's such a gift to be able to just sit with someone in a moment like that. That's, you know, you see this like kind of different strength come out of Celeste that even though it's a, a vulnerable moment, it's a moment of you know, pretty raw emotions. It's just so, it's just so honest. And there's power in that. I think that it's really, it's really a unique kind of strength that comes out in that moment that, you know, now I, since the film, um, you know, was, was being made, I've become a mother and also, um, you know, have land and I'm starting a farm. And I have moments that I just, 
I don't know how I'm going to make it till tomorrow, you know, and it's, it's hard. It's just a, it's a hard life to choose. And, and I think back to that moment often, and you know, just, I'm so grateful that we were able to just, you know, to, to capture that as a part of this, just that, that really like raw honesty. It is a beautiful moment. Shayna, uh, Celeste, Nick, I just want to thank you again for being here to share your story. And I, I can't wait to, for others to get to, to see what I've had a sneak preview of. Uh, you can learn more about Farmsteaders at pbs.org slash POV slash Farmsteaders. And you can watch Farmsteaders on PBS September 2nd at 10 p.m. Check your local station for the, for the correct listing. And thanks again, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us today on Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock Podcast. To learn more about farmsteaders, visit farmsteaders.com. To learn more about animal welfare, visit bovinevetonline.com. We'll see you next time on Overheard.